Well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Um, I don't know if you remember, but I made your patches for you. You guys ordered some patches from me. I do remember. Yes, ma'am. Um, well, uh, I just wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit about um, the horse industry and what you do and stuff. Um, how did you get into it? You've been doing it your whole life? Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, we I grew up in a little town up in Idaho, Montpelier, Idaho, and and uh, it's kind of a farming and ranching community, you know. Uh, everybody has a horse or two in their backyard, and, and uh, so so that's how I grew up. And, so you've uh, been doing it your whole life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I, I don't really remember it, but my mom told me when I was two or three. Anyways, I was out. We had like this half round corral type of deal, and then it was straight on the other side. But anyways, it went into a loading chute where you'd back the trucks up, load cattle on, you know. Yeah. And a horse that I rode a lot as a kid, when he was a colt, I, I guess I had him in there, and I found an old buggy whip of my grandpa's, and I was chasing this colt around with this buggy whip. It was yearling. And my grandpa come over, and he, he asked me, he called me Scooter. He said, Scooter, what are you doing? And I said, I'm training my horse. And I didn't really realize... I don't remember that, but my mom and my grandparents, everybody told me the story a hundred times. Oh, wow. So they, they knew that, that I wanted to be a horse trainer right off the bat. So, so my mom's dad, he was, he wasn't a cutting horse trainer or nothing like that, like I am, but he, uh, he was a phenomenal cowboy. I mean, he could ride anything that bucked, he could train anything, he could rope anything. So. Um, I spent a lot of time with him when I was a kid, but, but yeah, I mean, we never really had a lot of horses growing up, but we always had anywhere from maybe two to six. And then when I turned 18, I started, you know, getting more horses and trading for horses and riding colts for people. And, and I, I started training horses for the public when I was about 14, but I started doing a bunch of trading around and. And uh, buying and selling and all sorts of stuff. I, right as soon as I graduated high school, I just I just kind of dove in. Yeah, you've got a lot of experience that most people would pay to have. Yeah, it. Uh, you know, like the way I grew up, uh, like a lot of people run cattle on the forest and the BLM and stuff up there, and so we would trail them cattle to the forest in the spring and then trail them home in the summer. So, and this is anywhere from maybe six to 10,000 feet in elevation. I don't know. But, uh, That's clear real cowboy stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it was, I lived right on the Idaho Wyoming line. So maybe, you know, a hundred miles from like Jackson, Wyoming. Yeah. Um, Afton was, Wyoming was 40 miles away. Uh, and where we run our cows, you know, a lot of times if, if the rain would get bad and we, and, you know, you was gathering cows out of Crow Creek, say you'd go around to Afton, Wyoming and, 
come in that way because the road would be too muddy going the other way. Um, so I was very, very fortunate to be able to gather cattle, trail cattle, doctor cattle, ride a horse every single day. I mean, this is, this is stuff that, that most people can't dream of. Um, it was a job. Like you really used the horse for, I mean, it was a, you had to have the horse. You had to do what you were doing. There was no other way to do it. they, They still, to this day, everybody still does it that way. Um, it's not one of these Whitesboro, Texas groom, groomed pasture, go out there and cake your cows in, and it, it ain't like that. It's like you, in most of that country, I mean, there's there's little dirt roads and stuff, but, but, but yeah, you, you're going to have to do it a horseback. You're not going to do it in a four-wheeler or a truck or, or whatever. You're, and, you know, when we'd trail them cattle to the forest, I mean, it, we might trail them 20, 30, 40 miles, depending on where we were going from down there in the valley, you know, and sometimes it'd take you two or three days to take a bunch of them up. And, and so, yeah. Do you think, you know, I hate to say average horse owner, but like what you described, you know, your average horse owner is somebody that pretty much, I mean, it's a hobby. They show and they do that kind of stuff and trail ride and stuff. Do you think if they had just a little bit of that that experience, it would probably help a lot of the the problems that you see? Oh, yeah, I do. Um, You know, so like I never got a, we never had a horse trailer until I was probably 12 years old. So every horse we had would jump in the back of a two-ton truck. You know, um, my grandpa had a, a pickup truck with a stock rack on the back of it. And we'd load them horses up at four o'clock in the morning. And I mean, they'd just jump in the back of a truck. Nowadays, people ask, will he load in a trailer? As a matter of fact, they even want a ramp on the trailer for free. Yeah, they, they're they, not they, like they, that now. No. So, uh, you know, them horses, like here's something to, to wrap your head around for, for like up there in that country. Wyoming especially, a lot of wild horses. And if you ever study wild horses and you watch them, you'll figure out that they graze and eat all day long and they Mm -hmm. move and they only go to water once or twice a day. So, and they'll oftentimes travel 10, 15, 20 miles for water. And it makes you wonder where we went wrong. They used to eat all day and go to the water twice a day. And now they have water all day long and we feed them twice a day. And then they're in a stall and they don't travel. I agree and, with you. I agree. Yeah, it's just something to not saying. I'm just saying just think about it here. I'm not saying anything. You just think about that. And well, yeah, I mean, we we didn't have to grow up like you did in any way, shape, or form, far, far, far from it. But we were at least taught to let them be horses, and we were lucky enough to have a, a little little bit of land, about 40 acres, and we could let them be horses, you know, because I agree with you. I think some of these, yeah. the way they're kept, if, if they could be actual horses, like you said, wild horses, it would make a huge difference. Well, and, and the reason that it's hard for some people to wrap their head around is, is you only know what you know. Yeah. You have to find out what you know to find out what you know. And so we are taught that, that these, you know, we, we think that they want to be in a stall and have a blanket on them and, and have all the good 
hay in front of them, but but they don't. I mean, they'd rather they'd rather be outside. Anyways, just because you're cold doesn't mean your pet's cold. And then you know, kind of back to your question about growing up the way I did and, and doing mm-hmm. the stuff that I do. Uh, would it make things different? Yeah. Um, you know, there's really not a whole lot of replacement for wet saddle blankets. Now, there are a lot of guys out there that are, say, cutting horse trainers, and they have kind of an assembly line in which these horses are trained. Those horses get out of the stall. They get saddled. They get loped. They get warmed up. They Then they go, you know, like they got one guy that just, saddles them. They got one guy that just lopes. They got one guy that trains them and then they got one guy that just cools them out and then he hands them back to the other guy and he and he, you know, washes it off and puts it away. And 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 they get horses trained to do a discipline that way. But uh I I really think um that one man doing a lot of jobs on a horse is something very rare anymore and it's the only way to really make that nice of a horse you know because nothing replaces time you know what i mean i mean when we treat these horses like they are nothing more than a number on an assembly line if they win great if they don't bag them get another one and i personally believe that 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 these horses need to be treated as individuals and you need to spend time with them. And so, and, and I can't think of a better way to spend time with a horse than to ride him like, like the way I grew up. You know, you're riding up the mountains and you got, I mean, we're talking about not gather your cows out of a thousand acre pasture. Okay. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of acres. Yeah. And you're just yeah. riding oh, I, all day. I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah. You ride and ride and uphills, downhills, uphills, downhills, badger holes, creeks. I mean, those horses will learn how to put the feet down. They learn to be obedient. You know, you'll pack salt to all the locations where you, you want to pull your cows to. You you put salt on the ridge tops and in different places, and, and you got to put it all on a pack horse, you know, and pack it on a pack horse that way, blocks of salt. And so when you spend that much time with a horse, you get to know the horse. The horse gets to know you. You get to know, be comfortable with one another. That horse knows what it's like to, you know, march for 10 or 15 miles and then you're going to stop and have lunch and you're going to tie him to a tree and he's not going to paw the ground and throw a fit because he knows he's going to have to march another 10 or 15 miles. And then you got to turn around and go back or you might be making a big circle. So, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, you know. Well, the, the I more, agree with you. I think that I agree what you said just a minute ago about they need to be treated as individuals because, you know, I mean, some of the basic, basic common sense stuff, yes, you can probably to apply to all of them. But a lot of the training and stuff is going to be situational basis, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then, okay, so I read Even as far as confirmation. Some of these horses physically can't do what people may think they want them to do. You know, I've always thought that. I may be wrong. <laughs> it's no, you're a hundred percent accurate. So when you when when you look at the way a horse is made, uh, you know, like in the cutting horse world, for example, one of our biggest assets is a, the the biggest thing we need is a big stop. They got to be able to stop. 
because that's all you're really doing before you, you know, when, when you're not turning a cow. You're stopping right. the cow from returning to the herd. So they've got to have a low hawk set, and their hawk's got to be up under them, and they got to have a round hip and a low set tail head, and we want them to have a round neck. And, yeah, it's it's formed a function. You take these short little, cock, you know, cutting horses and ask them to go show jump and vice versa, you know. Exactly. Nobody comes to the cutting horse business and says uh, we're looking for thoroughbreds for the Kentucky Derby. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, for certain. Uh, and now, have you always just trained cutters and show cutters? No. No. Uh, so cutting was was not real prominent where I grew up. There was a handful of cutting horse guys up there, but I mean, it wasn't a big deal where I come from. It was roping was a big deal. Team roping and calf roping was a real big deal. Uh, so I got into cutting, really. I, I bought my card and. I was probably 34 years old before I really just said I'm going to cut. And uh, so that, you know, maybe about the last eight, nine years, I've really got into cutting. But prior to that, um, you know, uh, I, I roped a lot. I trained some rain cow horses and did the snaffle bit deal for a while. And, and uh, you know, which had cutting in it, you know. Yeah. But... Uh, but yeah, that was, but when I first started out, I, my original deal was I just wanted to make good horses, you know, just, yeah. and then the red cow horse kind of drew me to it. And then one day I woke up and I realized that I hated raining. And so I quit the cow horse and went to cut. There you go. Well, that's, that's come up a lot though. The whole ranch idea and the show and the ranch classes and cows and people are getting to be around that kind of stuff in little bits and pieces now. You know, do you think um, do you think that's going to continue to keep growing like it's been growing? Well, yeah, and and I'll tell you why. I think it'll grow because nothing is better, in my opinion, which nobody really cares what I think, but I'll just tell you my opinion. No, nothing, nobody anywhere, anyhow, anyway, has ever admired. And wanted to be, and I mean, like what I'm trying to say is, the cowboy life is the most coveted, most admired, most desired life out there. Yeah. So yeah. every kid in America, I don't care if you're from Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, every kid in America at one time or another has wanted to be a cowboy, even if it was just for five minutes. Yeah. I don't care if if you're in a in a gang and you've never even seen a horse and 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 you're just out to do bad things at one point in your life, you saw the Lone Ranger, you saw John Wayne, you saw something and it made you want to be a cowboy. Even just for five minutes, you thought about it. Now I don't think there's anything else we can say that about. Right. We yeah. haven't no, all agree with a you. fire, fire truck driver or a police officer or a doctor or a dentist, or, but, but, so with that being said, and, and then you got to have two things to really, or really what you got to have to for for the, the ranching industry. Everybody thinks about it, it's all about cows, 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 but really grass is everything. And the only way you get grass is with real estate. Well, today everybody has a dually truck, 10 acres, three horses, five cows, and a border collie. Yeah. 
and they all want to have a ranch, but that's all they can afford and, and, uh, or that's all they really want to tie themselves to. And they've got the cutest little 35 horse John Deere tractor in the backyard and, and, uh, they want to go to these competitions like you mentioned and do that type of stuff. And so, um, but as far as full time ranching, uh, it's very, very, very difficult to, to get in that and make it go. And if you do, you're going to have to realize that you're going to have to go without a lot of things that other people don't go without. And you're going to have to do a lot of things that other people don't do. You hit the nail on the head with that because owning horses, period, but horses and cows, it's, it's a lifestyle. Like it's not it, like that's, it's your lifestyle. It's a Sunday through Sunday. 24-7 yes. thing. Yes, it is. There is no off-season when you're dedicated. Right. There, there is no. Well, and I always thought that God gave, God made cattle and gave them to us so that we could give them horses a job. The horse is in its best mind when it is doing something in regards to Gainfully cattle or employed. animals. Yep. Not, not to, you know, offend anybody or whatever but to uh that's why everybody looks for reject cutters and nobody in the world looks for reject barrel horses now i've had a million phone calls a week people saying you got anything that doesn't cut good enough that's a reject that we could go rope on or bow race or crow ride or ranch or whatever nobody's ever called me and saying hey does your wife have something you stay working out on the barrels and the reason being is when you train them to work a cow, they get really, really broken, really, really solid. And a barrel is an inanimate object. A cow basically works a horse, and a barrel doesn't move. So that's why you see a lot of barrel horses get kind of ticked off because that's that's just something somebody made up. Whereas handling cattle is an actual job that them horses can relate to. I agree with you. It's a hundred percent. I mean, it's a hundred percent honest what you're saying. I I never rode barrels, so but I can relate because I actually did pleasure. Which, if you look at pleasure, it's like we went we went slow for no reason. But you can still kind of see now, which I don't ride now, but I can see now looking at horses in the cow industry just as a whole. You know, cutting, team roping, all that stuff, and then you look at horses that are in the other disciplines. It's a big difference. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and the same thing could be said about the reining, you know, for for yeah. them horses just go out there and lope circles and sit there and turn around and then sit there and run and stop and run and stop and run and stop and then go turn around more. And uh, so a, a really good reining horse probably wouldn't be very handy to have on a ranch. Like I'm talking about a ranch. Now, you got to understand. Right. Farms have horses. That's why when you go to Kentucky, they have thoroughbred farms, they call them. They don't call them thoroughbred ranches. Nobody's ever had a thoroughbred ranch. They call them thoroughbred farms. Cattle yeah. have ranches. So those people that, that claim like a reigning, they say, oh, we got a 20-acre reigning ranch right here in Pilot Point, Texas. And it's like, okay, no, you, you, you don't. But I guess you can call it whatever you want to. But. The, the reining horse really isn't much different than the cutting horse, or the, I mean the barrel horse. It, it's, it gets sick of it, and on a real ranch, it's probably not going to be very practical. Right. 
you know, so anyways, yeah. Do you think it's harder to train a horse when a cow is involved versus when it's not involved? Do you think it's a easier road when a cow way is involved easier. because it's a natural thing? Yep, way easier. When you get, when you put a cow in front of that horse, you give him something to do. And, and I can promise you, doesn't even matter what kind of horse you're riding. You could ride a whatever, I mean, a race horse, you could ride a cow horse, you could ride a cutting horse, you could ride a Morgan, whatever. But, but if there was a cow in front of it, uh, he going to learn that gives him a reason to stop and a reason to turn and a reason to, you know, and, that, and that's the difference between like where I grew up, you go for a trail ride, but your horse still doesn't get used as the same ways as the guy that's gathering these cows out of the mountains. And then he gets them to the trail and cause you don't just ride down a trail. You might get almost back and then have to turn and double back and go up on top of another mountain and grab eight or 10 more pairs. And, and then when you get back to the crows, you got to sort everything and, and get yours separate from the other guys. And, and, uh, you know, you might be shipping calves from that set of krells and sending heifers one way and steers the other or different weights or sizes. So it, all that is done a horseback. And that adds up, you know, to making a good horse. But it, it doesn't matter what kind of horse you ride when you, when you put a cow in front of them. And then pretty soon they're going to start stopping better and neck them better because they figured that out. Do you think that these ranch shows depict that lifestyle pretty good, or do you think they're far off from it? Well, they try to. I mean, but but it's only so much you can do, I guess. Yeah, that's the thing is there's only so much you can do, and every operation's different. Yeah. So. I've been involved in some of those organizations and whatnot, and, and I kind of just backed away from it all. But I like the ranch horse shows deals where you got to do a little raining and a little cutting, and you might have a trail course, and you might have to go down the fence and rope a cow or something. Hey, that's all great. And I like it because it gives you something to shoot for as far as you are, or let's just say this guy over here, he's got a, 10 acres and a Ford Dooley truck and a platinum trailer and three horses and they're all kind of bred, you know, one of them's a, a dual smart ray out of a metallic cap mare or something and, and it's maybe not like a big time cutting horse but it flunked out of somebody's program and it was kind of big and shapy and he just likes to put on his vest and his hat and do a little of everything. Yeah. And it's, 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 what it is, is it's kind of a way that all these people get to connect. Now, this can sound weird. They get to connect with what I call your prepubescent self. Before puberty, you were a pure child and you, your heart was pure. After puberty, you fell in love with girls and guys, whatever, and you went nuts forever. So puberty screws up everything. Pretty soon you start putting Dapper Dan in your hair and a little bit of Old Spice on and, and you're trying to, to, uh, impress the ladies. But before you went into puberty or guys or girls, either one, you were, nothing got in your way. 
And yeah. so this, these ranch horse shows are a way for them to reconnect from the days when they watched Matt Dillon and, and, and they watched, you know, the Rifleman and Jimmy Stewart and all them, and they wanted to be that cowboy. So that's what I like about it. And yeah. what I also like about it is, is you know, you, you don't have to make the team to be able to play. You can just buy a horse and truck and trailer and go in you know, but does it yeah. depict what really goes on on a ranch? Probably not, but but I, I, I guess they try to do it as good as they can. You know, possible to, to really do it all, but what I do like about and every other prediction is different, but like I say, what I do like about it is it gives those people that opportunity, and it gives them something to work for, so the guy doesn't go, you know what, I'm 55 years old, and I've done everything right my whole life. And I got I got nothing in the cooker for retirement. I mean, me and my wife can only sit here and stare at each other for so long watching Archie, Archie Bunker while she knits hot pads. And we're going to go nuts. You know, I can only golf so much. I can only mow the yard so much. But this way, he can go out there and saddle his horse every night. He might go work the flag or take a cow down the fence or work on his reining a little or drag a railroad tie around or put his breakaway pond on there and go rope a few and he can work at it and build toward it. You know, and I, and I love that because yeah. I think that goal setting is one of the most important things in the world. Well, and it's less pressure, I think. I mean, even me coming from kind of the pleasure world and it's less pressure at the ranch shows. You don't have to be as I hate to say the word perfect, but, you know, I mean, you can trial and error a, a lot more and learn a lot more than some, yeah. some of these other shows that have so much pressure and so much money, I guess. Yeah. Well, and I mean, let's face it, you know, anytime you have a competition of any kind, sooner or later, you're going to get some ringers in there and you're going to get some, you know, people are going to figure that out. But, you know, a lot of them shows, too. uh they don't really have age divisions like we do in the NCHA, um, you know, or there's a lot more uh, possibilities for an older horse. Now, granted, uh, I mean, everybody thinks that as cutting horse people, we don't really care much about that horse as he's until after he's four years old, which is not true. We start showing them at three-year-olds a lot of times, and, and we want that horse to last. But yeah. them horses, them horses only got so many stops and turns in them. And, yeah. you know, whether we use that at the beginning of his life or at the end of his life, but he's only got so many in him. And so, and it's kind of like. Well, they're not machines. Way. No, they are not. Look, look right. at it like this. Look at the NFL or the NBA. They don't recruit 50-year-olds to be on the team. Yeah, yeah. They recruit the young men. If you're 40 years old in the NBA, you're an older basketball player. Mm-hmm. Even but, 35, and, probably. Yeah. So so now, can those guys still play ball and be very good at it? Yes, they can. But it's the same thing for us when we compete at such a high level. We're looking for those really good horses that are three, four, five, and six, you know. And then there's the exceptional ones will stay good for a long time, but a lot of them will kind of peter out on you or, or they'll, they'll get too big and, 
and whatever, but, but, uh, but nonetheless, it doesn't really matter about any of that. You know, a lot of people, they, we, we put all the pressure on them and, and we write them the most of the first of their life where, you know, let's say we write them from when he's two to when he's 12 and we got 10 years. Yeah. Somebody else rides the horse a lot from when he's eight to 18. He's got yeah. the same 10 years. It's cool to be able to see how other people look at the industry and how much it's changed and what's going on with it. And even like Yellowstone, I've been preaching this for a minute, that Yellowstone has just hyped it up tremendously and brought you know, in all kinds of different people. It has. And I, you know, I don't mean whatever, you know, I, I like, like Taylor Sheridan said in a speech or something one time, he said, you know, I, I think it's pretty cool because I'm selling cowboy hats in L.A. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's cool. But but I'll tell you one thing that I've noticed right here in the cutting horse business is since the, the introduction, and maybe I just was stupid and didn't realize it or whatever, but since the introduction of Yellowstone, I have noticed the profanity that people use, primarily the F word, has shot <coughs> – excuse me, has shot through the roof. And I just sit there and go, sorry, I, I sneezed again. So I, I just sit there and go, Bless you. you know, you people use that word like, like, it's not just shit, damn or hell, okay? I mean, this is, this is a fairly offensive word. Yeah. And, and I don't really appreciate that. Okay. So, so have we all said it? Yeah. Do we all, you know, think it probably more than we should? Yeah. But do we need to use it in every other sentence? Probably not. Yeah. And, uh, you know, most. But but I think you're right. I think, I think it has maybe brought in a, I guess, bad mannerism might be the right word you know it depicts the lifestyle in a way that i mean when i was growing up i was just taught yes ma'am yes sir there's a mm-hmm. certain way you should act where you are you know you, some things you shouldn't say in certain places and things like that but it does depict a lifestyle that's kind of vulgar which i haven't even watched it but just from here to yeah it, on the it, internet. yeah it, it's it's i mean i've seen a lot of it you know and it's pretty vulgar and the thing is is you know, when you work that hard, uh, and, 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 you know, that's what you do. It makes you humble. It, it makes you grateful. It makes you humble. And, uh, and my wife and I, I mean, we decided the life we wanted to live, which is why I married her because she wanted to have what I want. And, uh, there were a lot of things that we went without. And it teaches me. Now, how can you be kind and humble and yet turn around and act so arrogantly and talk so foully and, and is about, you know, and, and, uh, right. and you don't just drop people off at the train station, you know, okay, murder is definitely a very, very serious offense and it's a sin i mean if god gave us 10 things that we should definitely do to get along which was the 10 commandments he didn't say if you can get away with it don't kill him he said thou shalt not kill yeah you know 
And so, again, I'm not here to judge anybody or whatever. I'm just saying the life that we live, in my opinion, is second to none. It's, it's uh, wonderful. It's humbling. It's hard work, you know. Um, I mean, we, we sold a handful the other day. It's hell barn, and I had a $50,000 check sitting there on the fridge, you know, and everybody would look at that and go, wow, that's $50,000. And it's like, yeah, well, by the time you pay all your bills and do everything, that's, you know, not going to cover it. I mean, not even close. So, you know, you're going to have five or six of them bunches of calves come in. And by the time you get done paying for it all, sometimes it makes you wonder why you do it. You know, some years we don't. And and that's where I have to train horses to make, make it work. But I, uh, different from, like, the weather for Texas, Scottsdale, Arizona, Nampa, Idaho, those those hubs of horse training areas i can't go do the you know barn and arena on 10 acres thing uh, it's just not for me you yeah. know I, I i know a lot of my friends and they're great people but they they have 40 50 60 horses in training and i don't i keep about eight to ten and pretty you know i ride them all personally and and we do use them outside and inside and and that's that's how my program works. Yeah. Well, ain't nothing wrong with that. You just made me think of another question I wanted to ask you. The prices of horses in the last couple of years, I know you could probably comment on this. Do you think it's going to come back down to normal, or do you think it's going to stay the way that it's been? Because um, they've been out there. They have. They have. Uh, you know, so so I've talked about this with a lot of people. They'll go down. You yeah, know, they'll, they'll definitely go down. We've seen that, you know, um, I've had some people say, oh, the, the price of horses will never be the same again. And to that, I say baloney. It's it's very, very simple. We saw it back in, okay, in my lifetime, so I'm 43 years old, and I remember in 2004 or five, I was thinking, you know, how how does a guy like me buy a decently bred horse and not have a lot of money? Because I, I remember seeing, you know, them them really well-bred horses bring all that money. And I remember thinking, how is it, how's a guy like me ever going to get in this? Well, in 2007, everything went through the roof. And in 2008, they all went through the floor. Yep. So it'll happen again. Uh, right now, everybody's buying mares and raising colts. And they're breeding the a bajillion studs out there, which there's a lot of great ones out there. But the problem you have is, is now that we have these babies, somebody's got to do something with them. Well, yeah, there's a lot of studs out there, which means there's going to be a lot of babies. And when the economy comes back down to like what we just said, it's going to come back down. Man. Who's going to take care of these horses? Who's going to train them? See, the, the, the difference between cattle and horses is, is as long as cattle are fat and shiny and they're eating, you're making money. Right. Horses ain't making money unless you got a saddle on them and you're riding. That's the difference. And it takes a skill set. It'll take you your whole life to, to do it, but nobody's built them anymore. And so them really, really good horses, they're always going to be worth some money. Yeah. But the, the younger, greener, less experienced horses – we will see those go through the floor again. But, yeah. but, but uh, really, the horse market will 
the good horses will probably until we see you know our stock market like the Dow be cut in half again. I don't even know where it's at right now. Thirty some thousand, thirty two, three, four thousand. When it drops down to that sixteen thousand mark and everybody's really crying the blues. Then you'll be able to buy you a nice ranch gilding for seventy five hundred bucks again. Yeah. We had all these people breeding horses like crazy and then they just quit. And they canned their mares and they got rid of them and, and but then in two thousand twenty one we saw more full registrations than we'd seen in years. Because when COVID broke out in twenty twenty and there wasn't no shows to go to, a lot of people were taking their good mares and flushing them. Yeah. So, you know, and, and yeah, and, it, and it's easy to breed them now. Every, everybody, you know, versus years ago, their reproductive science and people have more stallions and the whole nine yards. So, but yeah, it's going to go down and you are going to see, uh, you're going to see a lot of really nice prospects become really affordable, in my opinion. I agree. Because, I foresee it. I was saying yeah. this last year because it just seemed like everybody had a stud and everybody was breeding and, you know, all this yeah. stuff. And I'm like, what's going to happen to all these horses when the economy comes back down? Because it's going to at some point. It can't stay up here forever. Yep. It's, it's going to. And, and, uh, and I know people say, oh, that'll never happen. But, you know, I can. And then and, and you talk to the guys that are older than me and they say, we saw the same thing happen in the 80s. You know, so it seems to me like every 15, 20 years, you know, something goes from low, low to high, high, and then boom, you know, after 15 years, 20 years, it'll go back the other way. Yeah. 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 So I was going to ask you about one one more thing. I saw you made a post about, I forgot when it was, but it mentioned all kinds of stuff. You said something about pecking order on horses, and I was sitting there thinking, yeah, we used to watch when we got a new horse in, we would see these horses, you know, daddy would make us put them out there in a pasture and let them just do their thing. And, and you just had to let them do their thing. And it can get scary sometimes watching horses go through something like that. Um, and I thought it was cool that you said something about that because a lot of people don't even know what that is. And they don't even have never even seen anything happen like that. Horses will fight each other. They will. They will. And you just got to let them do it because. There's going to be a leader, and it mm-hmm. is what it is. Yep, and that's just how they're designed. So that's why a lot of people, like, okay, this is why everywhere you go, everybody wants to buy a good gilding, right? Yeah. Well, my best horses have always been mares. Yeah. Now, I've had some really good gildings, but it seems to me, if you look at my record and what I've done in my career, that the horses I've been the most successful on were mares. Mm-hmm. And most people don't get along with a mare because usually in a herd of wild horses, mm-hmm. a mare is actually the leader. A stallion yep. will just follow along and try to keep his mares bunched up, but a, but 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 a mare is always the leader in a herd of wild horses. She de- de- dictates the route where they're going. She leads them to and from, you know feed and water and danger and all that stuff, a stallion will just trail along and bite them on the butt to make sure they don't drift off down their own canyon and another horse pick them up. Well, so, so 
most people don't get along with mayors because they do not have a leadership uh, capability in their personality, I guess you could say. They, they don't, you know, they just don't possess those leadership qualities. So they, they just want a submissive gilding. Right, right. Dope along like old ER on Winnie the Pooh, you know. And uh, a good mayor. Which is fine. Which is fine. Yeah, I've, I've yeah, had those. I've fine. had that. But a good mayor. mayor, when you teach her to love you, and you teach that mayor that, hey, I'm I'm here to protect you, and I'll provide this good life for you, but I also will preside over you, you know, then, and, and then she learns to love you. She'll give you her life every time. She's like a good woman. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, if, if a husband tells a wife, you know, I promise you that I will always take care of you. I will protect you. I'll provide this great life for you. I mean, she'll, she'll give that guy her life, even though he's, he's probably, you know, not, that doesn't mean he's, he's going to be one of those guys that just does whatever mom says either. You know, it's kind of a give and take deal, but, but he will. And, and, uh, but, but I've even seen gildings fight. Like matter of fact, a friend of mine the other day, he, he bought a new horse, took it home, put these two horses together in a small corral and, and both gildings. And the one of them kicked the other and broke his leg. And, you know, gildings aren't supposed to do that, right? Well, the one probably wouldn't have got hurt if they'd have had enough room to get away from each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? Never been together, didn't know anything about them. Anyways, yeah. But, yeah, they got five, ten acres or whatever with, I mean, I, I know, I'm I'm literally sitting right here in Whitesboro, Texas, and there's horses and trainers and facilities everywhere. And I'll buy you a steak if more than 5% of them have more than 50 acres. I mean, I'll bet you most of these people are on 5, 10, 20 acres, and, they, and they've got, I mean, I don't even know, 30, 40, 50, 100 horses at each facility. Oh, wow. They're just stacked one on top of the other. They put them in 10 by 10 and 12 by 12 stalls. And, they, and, and you know, they talk about ample turnout time. And it's like, you know, these they just don't have the space. You know? It's probably where the business aspect ties into the, like what you said, horses are not, horses are looked at as a dog is looked at or a cat. They're, they're, they are becoming I hate to say the word pet, but they are in a sense because yeah, no, for just, sure. Because they are. So when you tie in the business aspect of it, it's kind of the same thing. It's the same question as you know, why do people keep breeding dogs when you can go to a shelter and get a dog? You know, if you don't need it for a specific job. Yeah. But the yeah. business aspect probably plays into that because you know. It does, and and I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. It's like where I grew up, you know, when we'd go up the mountains riding and stuff and we'd stay up in Ephraim Valley. We'd my grandpa used to keep an, an overnight horse up by the cabin. And then every morning he'd go out into this little pasture that was I don't know, six, seven hundred acres maybe. And he would gather up the horses and, and bring them all in, you know, clear up the mountains there and then we'd pick what we were riding for the day and turn the rest back out in that six or seven hundred acres, whatever it was. 
uh, could have been even bigger than that. But it, anyways, um, that's, that's pretty big. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, when I tell you a lot of big country, I mean a lot of big country. But I don't if I don't live like that today. I mean, I have to train horses to make it work. And so, I mean, I've got 27 stalls at my place. And yeah, we we do also keep horses in stalls. However, we do turn them out a lot. You know, yeah. like on the weekends, anything that can be turned out. And then I've got a couple of kind of solitary small traps and stuff that are, you know, I don't know, a couple of hundred foot by a couple of hundred foot square. Big enough, you know, maybe an acre in size. And we'd rotate the studs and their turnout time there. And, you know, because they do have to, they do have to definitely get out and move around. Yeah. I've, I've, I've seen, I was traumatized when I was little. We got the only, the one of the studs I saw when I was little, he was like raging. I mean, he was, it was that basic image of this crazy horse and all kinds of stuff, you know. So I've not really been around him. And I've only seen, we tried to breed my mare a couple of times when I was younger. So, but he was the exact opposite of what I saw. He was the calmest thing you ever laid eyes on. So I haven't been around him or handled him much at all. Because it takes skill to be able to handle a stud. I mean, you don't need to be a, an idiot going in trying well, to handle a stud. <laughs> if if you've ever watched wild horses, when them two Mustang studs fight, yeah, okay, nobody steps in and says, "Hey, hey, hey, you can't do that." Them studs understand two things, and that's breeding mares and fighting. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's all they understand. And when they get, they're going to grow up with a bunch of, they're going to get whipped out of the mare band when they're a yearling. And they're going to go off and run with a bunch of other Mustang studs. And then when they get big enough and strong enough, they decide they want to try it. They'll come back. But when they fight, you know, if the other one doesn't die, he'll be crippled up so bad a mountain lion will get him or something. Uh, just how it is. And so yeah. they're really, it's, it's, it's almost impossible for us as a human to to hurt him as you know we we couldn't hurt him the way another horse could oh no and i'm not saying i don't want to i'm not saying i want to hurt my stud or nothing but my wife doesn't like handling studs i mean we've got one stud that i used to show a lot and she shows him every now and then but but she doesn't like handling them a whole lot she says they can smell the difference between a man and a woman and tell the difference and uh and our our studs are pretty good minded and, and I know everybody says that, but they, they really are pretty good minded, but there's there's some days I have to get out of them for after them pretty harshly just to, to keep them, you know, definitely being obedient because you know I mean it's a stud. He he's gonna do yeah. what he's naturally gonna do, period, regardless yeah. of how he's raised and all that kind of good stuff and the training. Yep. He's still a stud horse at the end of the day. Yep. Yep. It, I really do. I love what I do, and I've and I've I've had a lot of people tell me that I couldn't do what I do. And the funny thing is, is now that I'm doing it, and and I show them, you know, everything they said I couldn't do, I'm doing it. And I'm I'm kind of geared that way. So if you tell me I can't do something, there's this great big old screw you streak that comes out in me and says what? That's just how I am. But I also have known my whole life that I wanted to be a rancher and a horseman. And so, uh, and I, and I do think there's a big difference between a horseman and a horse trainer. Um, 
you know, yeah. uh, that I, and, and I know a lot of, a lot of horsemen that, that really don't have big lifetime earnings, like a lot of the trainers, uh, you know, like maybe Buck Branneman, you know, there's a guy that one of the best horsemen we could say, and he's very, very good at what he does. Uh, now, if he decided to be, he doesn't have a million dollars in earnings in the NPHA. He's not a Hall of Fame cutting horse trainer. But I will tell you that he's good at everything he does. So I'm led to believe that if he wanted to be a great cutting trainer and win all that money doing that, he, he could do that. But he didn't. He decided to help people with their horses and give clinics and do all the stuff that he does. And I, I think he's a great horseman. You know, so there's there's a difference. But everything that I'm doing in my life, it was basically one of them deals to where I lost a lot of friends. Maybe I didn't make a lot of friends because of it. Uh, mm-hmm. I had to go my own way. Uh, it was taxing on relationships. And yet it was strengthening to the relationship I have with my wife. Because when you want the same thing. You know, you both want, I'll tell you a little, little hole in the wall. You both want one of the best ice cream cones you ever had. Get in the car, <laughs> go get some Fars ice cream from Farson, Wyoming. All right. If you both want ice cream from Farson, Wyoming, you're going to have the most remarkable and rememberable trip going to Farson, Wyoming to get ice cream. Now, if one of you wants blue bonnet from down there in Belton, or, or, uh, uh, Random Texas, and the other one wants Farson, Wyoming. One of you is going to have to get out and in Amarillo and go the other way. Yeah, this and is that, true. Now you both like ice cream, but one of you says, "No way, I'm having Bluebell ice cream," and the other one says, "No way, I'm having Farson ice cream." So, you know. When, when I, when I picked my spouse, I remember on the first date, I told her, I said, this is what I do and, and how I want to live. And if you like this life, I'd like to see you again. If not, it was nice to meet you. And so, uh, picking the right person that wants to do everything with you is, is very important. But it, again, and then, and then go back. You know, but, but, but again, you know, like say what works for me doesn't necessarily work for everybody else. And, and I like what I do. I like having, you know, a herd of cows and, and, you know, we run about 10 or 50 out of mother cows and, and, uh, then we have our batch of brood mares. We run about 20 head of mares and, and, uh, we have a stud that I showed and won a bunch on and we breed all them mares to him. And, and so we, we kind of do a little of everything, you know, and then we have the, the, uh, well, you're doing uh, something right. I think I saw where you won a, a show you was at the other day or the other week you posted something. So, you know, it's it's working for you and you're doing your thing. You're doing good at it. So that's good. Well, I got six weeks of the year left. I've got a horse that's actually fit first in the world uh, in the NCHA. So there's six weeks left. And if I can hang on to that number one spot for the next six weeks, I'll have a world champion. So uh, Well, that will be good. Yeah, it'd be great. You know, it's been exciting and, and been a fun year. And, it, and again, it's been one of those years that, like, I got to be gone for the next two weeks straight. I'm, I'm in Whitesboro to, till Sunday tomorrow. 
And then Tuesday, I take off and go to Gonzales, Louisiana for the rest of the week. And then I come back from Gonzales and go straight to Montrose, Colorado for another week. And then I come home and got a few more weekend shows. And then uh, uh, I got to get ready for the fraternity. We got Darren Hagens as a three-year-old stud, smooth-talking style stud. I'm showing a fraternity for Darren. And we're going to ship calves and everything else in the middle of all that. It's a lot to take care of. It's an operation. I mean, that's, it that's an never operation ends. Got going on. No, my wife and my two sons work with me at it every single day. And it just, it just, I mean, my boy today, he, he yesterday my wife hauled another load of calves to the sale, uh, you know, and then, and then my boy today, he, he, he works at that sale barn on the weekend, so he, he texted me this morning wanting to know which horses he should take and ride at the sale barn all day, uh, you know, juggling cattle around and whatnot. And, and uh, so it, it does. It, it's an operation, and it takes all hands on deck. And, and uh, I mean, there's no vacations. There's no yeah, days off. No, no. and it's there's, a blessing that you have the family that you've got that, that you all guys are on the same page. You're all working together. You all are yeah. going for the same goal, doing the same thing. So that, that probably helps tremendously too, you know? It does. But there again, I don't know. Like people say, how did you get your kids into that? And I'm like, well, they didn't have a choice. You know, when they were old enough to start doing something, I started giving them chores to do because I needed the help. Yeah. So I didn't, there wasn't no choice. It was just like, well, you got to start doing that, you know? And then every day, you know, pretty soon they're, they, like my boy Porter, you know, he buys calves and that obviously he has to take care of them. They're his calves, but he grows them up and sells them. And he just sold one of his yearling colts the other day. He, he got, I, I let him have a yearling colt last year and he sold it the other day and, you know, put some money in his pocket. And, and, uh, and then my other son, you know, he, he started out real, real early, you know, so you got to incentivize them, let them have something of their own and see the, the, you know, the way it all works for them personally. Well, you got to earn your keep. I mean, like my, my yeah. parents told us, if you want something, you got to work for it. So you yeah. got these horses, we got to get out here and work for it. <laughs> yeah. No, you, you do. And that, that's, that's again, one of the biggest problems we have today is, is most people don't work for it. Yeah. They just have it given to them. I mean, I realize not everybody works the same. We got to have cities and we got to have, you know, offices with cubicles in them and people doing all that stuff. And, and I think that's great. It's just not for me. Right. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, yeah, that's obviously that, that's, that's going to be a common sense thing. You know, some people, every, everybody has an importance in their thing that you do for a living. You know, some, like what you just said, some people ain't made to work on a ranch and live that lifestyle and do that kind of stuff. Right. That's okay. You know, right. but you're they don't right. want to gather cows when it's 20 below zero and three feet of snow and you got snow blowing in your face sideways and you're out there looking for cows that you got to bring in. Cause they might calve that night, and, you know, and then in the summertime you're trailing cows and it's hotter than the hub to hell. And people don't realize know. the work. I, I think a lot of that, I hate to say average person, but that's what I'm talking about. Your your average person that doesn't see this type of lifestyle or your lifestyle, you know, whatever. 
they don't necessarily know the work and the dedication that goes into them being able to buy a steak. So people real quickly just complain about it without even knowing. Yeah, it's just when you think about it, really what a steak is, a steak is just, well, think about it this way. Will Rogers said buy land because it's the one thing they're not making any more of. So the only thing a steak is, is grass. We -hmm. converted grass to protein for human consumption. The only way you get grass is by having dirt. I mean, it's just the way the Lord designed this world, um, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, it's, it's just not possible to hunt for your food. And there, you know, you got people say, Oh, I don't need beef. I go out there and I kill a deer every year. Well, I can tell you right now, if all you lived on was deer meat, you wouldn't live that long, first of all. And second of all, we would have no wild animals left. Everybody would, they'd be extinct. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, the, you know, and, and like, I mean, the, the two things that I think are completely recession proof are beer and beef. So it, it proven in tales of times of woe that the, the tale is that people lose their job or get a pay cut or lose a client or whatever. They go out there and they immediately gratify themselves and they get drunk. That's where the alcohol Which is astonishing. From. It's astonishing right. to me. That right. It's like, okay, you're, you're broke. You just lost your job and you went and spent 40 bucks on boots. You know, you should have yeah, saved 40 bucks. Right. Yeah. But whatever, we all have our guilty pleasures. So. True. And then, and then, you know, they, whatever, people become addicted, whatever. But then beef is also recession proof because no matter how bad the economy gets, people always got to have it. And no matter how, no matter how broke you are, no matter what it is, you're always going to find a way to stop in there at Wendy's and grab a hamburger or somebody's going to graduate or have an anniversary or, or have a funeral or whatever. And you're going to get together and go out for dinner and, and, uh, you know, let's face it. I had a friend of mine said to me the other day, he said, you know, this guy's a big time car dealer and everything and has cutting horses too. And he said, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm not a Republican. And I looked at him, I said, what do you mean? And he goes, I think I'm a libertarian. And so he Googled it for me on his phone and looked it up and showed it to me. And I was like, holy crap, I'm going to be a libertarian too. What's you know? the difference? I need to Google this. <laughs> well, Basically, the libertarian believes that the government should be responsible for the roads, uh, you know, the the grid, electric grid system, the military, you know, basic things like that, right? Yeah. But as far as government being involved in every single little bit of our life and feeding us and providing for us and in every way, shape, and form, no way. Um, and so you'll find that even the Republican side of things, things have gone back and forth so much. The Republican could be argued. I mean, I know it's supposed to be the conservative party, which is, you know, again, what I would like to claim to be, but I don't like being told what to do or, you know, the, the idea of America is to be able to 
go or come, buy or sell, be drunk or sober, whichever you please, to be yeah. free, to make capitalism, to make it as great or as, as little as you want. You know, some, some people, their idea of, of heaven is living in a single white on two acres and not owing nobody nothing and just driving an old truck that they fixed up under a shade tree. And they make 12 bucks an hour working at the, you know, local grease rack and they get to go fishing every single weekend. That heaven right there. I don't have mm-hmm. no bills. I pay cash for everything. I don't owe nobody nothing. Leave me alone. Just let me go do my job and dump 10 W30 in every vehicle that walks through there. And then other people, they want to have big fancy house, big fancy cars, go on vacations, see the world. But that's America. To be able yeah. to do whatever you want and not have somebody tell you you can or cannot have it. But do you remember that movie? And I loved it. That when it came out years ago, uh, called Sick, uh, not Secretary, but Sea Biscuit. The horse. Yeah, movie. I haven't seen it, but I know what you're talking about. My grandpa told me that it was the greatest show he'd ever seen. So then I had to watch it because my grandpa said that. So, uh, I went and watched it and it, and it, you know, goes through the Great Depression era and all that and shows the struggles and blah, blah, blah. And, but the one thing that stood out to me through all that, well, you saw, you saw this family that, that didn't have nothing. And their boy goes and gets some money by working at a racetrack. So you, you actually get to see that even though everybody was stricken with poverty, there was still money floating around in the horse business. And so, um, which, which also, you know, kind of made me think a little bit. Um, but, but that guy in that movie, he goes to San Francisco or something out there to California with, with no money. I mean, he's got 25 cents left in his pocket. And he ends up being one of the largest, probably the biggest car dealer in the entire Bay Area in San Francisco. Mm. Just a dream. To work hard and reap what you sow. Like I say, the the, best, the horse industry and the ranching industry and all that, it's, it's a great thing to be in. Yeah. But it's it's going to be a lot of work and a very little pay. And everybody looks at what we do and they say, you know, oh, man, you have such a great life and such a nice place and nice, you know, and, and we built all that. I mean, everything, everything on my place, you walk into my barn and I've had a million people walk into my barn and say, man, this is the coolest barn. And I built that with my own two hands, you know. That's something to be proud of for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. I just looked at it and said, "Well, if I'm going to have somebody build me this barn, it's going to cost me 150 grand. Or if I build it myself, it's going to cost me about 50. So, I think I'll save 100 grand and do it myself. Yeah. You know, and 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 I worked on that barn after I rode 20 horses a day. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd work on it a couple hours every night. That's hard work. That's a lot of hard work. It's very hard work. It's like it's like going to a construction job after you've been at your horse training job all day. I was thinking to say, riding horses is not an easy walk in the no, park. No, it's, it's, 
it's not and and uh that's just how it is but but uh yeah it's certainly it's got its rewards and it's got its downfalls and all i can say is in my opinion the good outweighs the bad so i'll keep doing it there you go uh, but uh you know you also got to remember that in my opinion i guess i should say you have to remember this but in my opinion you know, we're we're a product of our actions and our choices, not our circumstances. Yes, this is true. And so we can decide to do whatever it is we want. But it, it, it and 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 back to this horse deal and expensive horses and cheap horses and bad horses and good horses. You know, like my wife's an avid barrel racer, and and so I get to see quite a bit that goes on in the barrel racing world. In almost every single town you go to, there's a there's a little girl there that's in high school that goes out there and wins the barrel race from down there every week in any town in America. And a lot of times, she's riding a horse that nobody wanted, and she just and she wanted to ride, so she took it on and went to ride. And she was willing to put in the time. And the work, yeah. And the work, yep. Put in the time and the work. And ends up creating something great. And we've, we've, I've seen that, a story just like that in almost every town in America. You'll take some little poor kid that she ain't got nothing, and her daddy's got a buddy that he drank beer with that had a horse that was supposed to be a racehorse, and nobody could get it broken up for the jockeys to ride, and ends up, Swapping it off in a card game that night, and his buddy gets it for, you know, a twenty-two rifle and a hundred-dollar bill in the trade, and she'll make it, you know, a big-time horse. Because what she'll do is she'll just take it out. She ain't got no other choice, but she just makes it work, and she rides and she rides and she rides and she rides it, and eventually it'll come around, you know. But but the problem with the horse training deal is is the trainer has to make a living. So yeah. if you want him to work with just one horse a day, and he has to spend hours and hours and hours and hours with it, he's going to have to charge you $10,000 a month to train that horse. Time is money. This is true. Yep. So the trainers have to take on so many horses to make it work. You know, and you can say, well, I, I, I think I'm going to be a horse trainer because I trained three or four of my own and they turned out really, really good and I could do a good job at it. Well, you're going to find out real quick when you start doing it for a living that you can't spend three or four hours on every horse. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll have to figure out how to get a lot done in a little bit of time. And the problem with horses is that doesn't work. Now, there are guys out there. I mean, a lot of us can get something done with a pretty decent horse, maybe, versus the guy that sits in the office all day. He he probably can't get it done, whatever. But and and yeah, we do get them trained. But 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 really, that's the biggest problem with this horse training deal is is, you know, you need a professional that has the skill and the knowledge and all that, but yet. Once he gets to that point, he ain't going to be able to give that horse the time that he truly needs. 
you know, the individual one-on-one time and, and, and even the best trainers out there have a lot of green or inexperienced people working for them to get that horse ready. And then that horse's actual time with the experienced trainer is very minimal. Right. If that makes sense. And yeah, no, so, no, no. It's the business aspect of it. I mean, you know, it you is. have to delegate things and have certain things go at a certain time. Yep. Because you yep. only get 24 hours in a day. Right, right. And every man's going to want is which, you know, to us, kind of sounds weird, but to us, uh, you know, family time for me and my family, hell, the other night we were all sitting there in the barn. We were just sitting around the barn, me and my wife and Ethan and Porter, and we were just talking about animals, horses, this and this and this, kind of making some plans as we bs along there. That's family time for us. We were just sitting around the barn. But every, everybody's going to need, every man's going to need, you know, you're going to want to sit in your rocking chair on your porch Sunday afternoon once in a while, and and uh, which to me is a vacation. But Yeah. But, uh, you know, the bottom line is these horses take a lot of time. Yeah, I think you're working on the horse's time sometime, too, especially if you're new oh. to the industry trying to train. I mean, you know, some people yeah. get all caught up and you should ride them for 30 minutes. You should ride them. You should do this and do that and do this. Well, if you get out there and hop on for five or ten minutes and they give you what you're looking for, then you can go ahead and get off and go on to the next one. That's how yeah. I always thought it worked, but I could be wrong. No, no, that's true. But and then there's sometimes that again, that's what makes them so good about ranching is 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 uh, you know you're gonna ride that horse whether he's good or bad. You're gonna ride that horse for eight, ten, twelve hours a day. Sometimes fifteen. On them really big days. No, I ain't kidding you. On them really big days, you're gonna go through two or three of them. And it ain't I mean, like this straight driveway. Y'all are going no. through some country. Yeah. And there, and you don't have a choice. It's not like, well, gosh, this horse is being pretty good. I think I'll quit him now. Well, you're 18 miles from the truck, and you still ain't got your cows gathered. I think you better keep trotting. <laughs> yeah, it ain't no stopping now. <laughs> nope. That's just how it is. And sometimes you run short of horse flesh, and you might have to pull your cinch up tight and ride him again tomorrow. Remember what it says on on the on the Bickmore's golf sab. It says on the golf sab can. It says be sure and work the horse. And 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 again, you know, we're trying to breed horses. Now, can you do you train a cutting horse by riding him eighteen hours a day or ten hours a day? No, you don't. You train that cutting horse, get him out, jog him around a little bit, work him on a cow or the flag for a minute. Shit, I mean. 20, 30 minutes a day, you'll have a world champion if you've got a horse that tries for you, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, with that being said, different strokes for different folks. But, and that's why them good ranch horses did have a big motor and people would brag about a horse that would go all day because they didn't want to be left afoot. But the problem is, is now you get you get somebody goes to a horse sale and they, they see in the notes it says this horse will go all day. I like that. I don't want to be slowing down. Well, the trouble is they only go all day twice a year. Yeah. And so the other 363 days a year, that horse sits around and they don't get along with him very good. And they never really thought that one through. 
Yeah, no, you're right. There's a there's a big difference between going all day with what you're talking about versus what, you know, other people yeah. may be talking about or, you know, weekend all day or just whenever you want all day, you know. The, right. the horses that you used, they, I mean, it was a part of the job. Like, you had yeah. to have it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes but a big difference. They still got to be obedient. But, you know, one time I pulled into a gas station in Stephenville, Texas, and there was two horse trailers parked there getting fuel. One of them was a big fancy living quarters trailer, three or four horse trailer. Looked like a barrel racer's deal. That trailer was just a bouncing. Them horses were going crazy in there. They all had their own dividers. They were whinnying. They were pawing the ground. They were bouncing around. The other trailer was a pipe trailer, and it had seven horses in it and a Dewey four-door truck with a bunch of cowboys in it. And every one of them horses was standing there with a saddle on. No dividers. They weren't even tied up. The reins were just thrown around their neck. And them horses never swished a tail or pinned an ear or lifted a foot. They just, stood, they just stood there because them horses had been used all day. Yeah. They never fought. They never kicked. They weren't even tied in, and they all stood in a perfect domino line, you know. And But they had been used all day. I wish I could have took a picture of that or made a video and said this is the difference between horses that get to see three cans in an arena for 30 minutes a day and horses that spend all day trotting through the mesquite and the cactus, you know, prowling for cattle. Well, you can probably say this, too. You know, I mean, knock on wood, like us, me, we we didn't have colic problems and health issues. We didn't have when our main horses lived till they were 30-plus years old. And yeah. I look at all these supplements and all these things and all this stuff that these people buy and do. Some of it may be very justifiable, but some of it I'm just like, I don't understand why you need all of that. You know, they're trying to – it's kind of like the old deal where, the, where they said uh, you need to eat your, your your food is supposed to be your medicine, or one day your medicine is going to be your food. So – when you have, uh, you know, when you when you eat proper, you can get healthy. Right. But these horses are made to travel. Even their gut, the movement and everything that happens when they're traveling. I mean, well, okay, I, years ago I had a little filly, a Pepto-Tads filly, and she was colicking. And I didn't have her insured, and I knew that the surgery was going to cost me more than she was worth. And I knew that if I had to take her, I took her to the vet and he said, she's colicking. She needs to go into surgery. So this sounds barbaric. We gave her some butin banamine. I took her home and I turned her out and said, well, if she, if she lives great, if she dies, I won't have to drag her out of the barn to bury her. She goes and runs around. She just takes off at a dead run, runs around out there in the pasture. And I'm sure she's got, you know, a lot of stress and adrenaline running from the pain. The next day she was eating grass out there and she was just fine. She didn't die. And my brother had a horse did the same thing. It caught and we turned it out and it died. And it lived. It didn't die. Baby colts are born out hundreds of acres. 
And sometimes a mare will have a colt that's three or four days old before we realize she's had it because we don't even know where it is. And then one day oh, we'll wow. take trail into water and we're like, oh, that gray mare had a colt, you know, type of deal. Well, and and my grandpa told me one time that, that he said horses are different than cattle. When they have problems foaling, it's usually a big problem and you're not going to be able to help. And so our mares fall out on the grass where it's natural, it's clean. Uh, we don't have to worry about any of that, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes perfect. My anxiety would probably get the best of me, though, if I tried to breed a horse now and have to watch it and stuff. I would just want to be watching it and being there. But, no, you're absolutely right. If you, if we kept it a little more natural, I think it might would alleviate some of the, the problems that are around these days, you know? Yeah, and then them colts learn to travel good and put their feet down, and they don't, they're not stumbly, and they're aware of their surroundings. And, and then, but we don't haul to break them. I mean, they're pretty wild when we wean them. They're, we don't haul to break them. They're, and I've had people ask me, so what, you know, that they buy colts from. So, like, so this colt will be hauled to broke? Nope. It's all your deal. When we bring them in out of the big pasture, we're going to wean them, and you're going to come get them, and we run them on the trailer like a calf, and that's the end of it. I didn't Take know that. Yep. We don't haul to break them or nothing. Now, if it's something we keep around, then we'll go ahead and put a halter on him and, and uh, tie him up and, and start doing that. But, but no, we, they're going to be somebody's workhorse their whole life. They're going to be somebody's animal their whole life. So for the first six months, I make sure they get to be a horse. Yeah. You know, after that, I let people go ahead and ruin them. You know, <laughs> we, we sell them. But for the first six months of his life, he's just going to know – big country and his mom and his buddies and and uh and that's it you know yeah. after that sorry but man's going to intervene and your life's going to suck so you know <laughs> sorry buddy <laughs> but, yeah but but for the first for the first little while i just i just let him be a horse you know and and uh and, it, and it's crazy how how many of them will, of the horses we raise i mean we we send them all over the place and People get back to me the next day, and they've got a halter on it, and they're leading it around and playing with it. And it's like, you know, they train up pretty quick because, you know, you just go put some time in. That's all it is. Well, that's good to be proud of. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, not a lot of of people can say that. And I think, you know, well, that's a big difference between the demographic, too. You know, me, I'm on the East Coast. You guys or around more land and be able to do that kind of stuff or whatever. So it's a big right. difference because, you know, over here, if you find a horse like that, it's going to it's gonna be off broke at some point. They're going to have to be messing with it, you know, sooner than they should. But Yeah, well, a it's, a, it's a different thing. I mean, that's like you, you go into a thoroughbred farm in Kentucky or somewhere and you'll walk down the stall aisle and, and they'll have those you know, cute little gate things in front of them, and they're all eating hay out of a hay net, and they all got leather halters on, and 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 then you come out west to one of our ranches, and them horses are all running out in a big pasture, and and we go and round them up with another horse, and trail them in, and and uh, I mean, a lot of the big ranches still this very day they train those horses to run into the corral and then turn their butt to you, and and somebody ropes every horse and then ha- and then after they rope it, it they turn it around and lead it to you and they hand hand that, that's your horse for the day so a lot of it's just 
you know, cultural differences, right. you know, from east yeah. to west, where the east coast is more English style and the west is truly as its own western way. Definitely. Yeah. It's a, you can live it that, out there than yeah. you can here. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I tell my cousin and some people before I told them they were asking about breeding and I say everything we write is, you know, bred to be a cut horse. And uh, he said, why is that? And I said, we live in the West where the cow horses came. The cow horse conquered this country. You know, if you, if you really want to make your make your life better, there's a book called Where the Rivers Run North by Sam Morton. Mm -hmm. It's a remarkable book. It's the most remarkable book I've ever read. And uh, it's wonderful. And you'll understand a lot more about horses if you read that book. I read a book by Monty Roberts that I, in my opinion, just, I'm not going to say it changed my life, but it fueled my fire even more at a time when I needed it. It's called The Man mm -hmm. Who Listens to Horses by Monty Roberts. Uh, another book that I read was obviously is Monty Roberts the one that did that movie they had that movie based off of with the girl and the horse and they had the red no so that would be that would be the horse whisper that Nicholas Evans wrote and that's right. a little bit more about the Buck Brannaman deal yeah it, it's more you know Buck Brannaman based uh, which a yeah. lot of it's the same kind of training and the same not all well, of it. I'm glad y'all do it, and I don't. <laughs> yeah. No, it's really, um, like I say, but it, it's it's just one of them deals to where I, I read a deal just this morning about a guy who's riding his horse from coast to coast, and he's going to, he travels 30 miles a day riding his horse. Uh -huh. And he had a business, and yada, yada, yada. Well, he was, he was, overridden with depression, anxiety, all the bad stuff that goes through our, our mental whatever, yeah. right? And uh, he is able to, he sells out, sells everything he's got, takes his horse and decides, I'm going to ride across the country. And he's doing it. Probably happy as a lark right now. Yep. Happy as a pig in mud. He ain't got an, ain't, ain't really got nothing. And when he's done, he's going to start a deal for veterans with PTSD and get a farm or something back east for them and, and, uh, have horses there and, and yada, yada. So. Horses are very therapeutic. I mean, yeah, for, in a lot of areas. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's crazy that all the success and big business and big industry, how it really didn't, you know, it couldn't gratify this guy, but yet, just being on a horse brokered and shit riding from coast to coast makes him feel accomplished. Yeah, that's that's pretty admirable, I think. I think that's great because, you know, what's that quote that everybody, everybody always says that uh, the best thing for a man is to be on the back of a horse or, you know, the one yeah. you're talking about? Yep. yep. It's pretty true. It is. You know, you can sort a lot of things out that way and, and uh, it'll call on you. It'll, you know, you spend enough time on horses and it, it works and exercises different parts of your body and, and, uh, you build a relationship with that animal. You'll figure some things out and the other stuff will kind of go away. 